What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Lessons in the Trenches podcast. Today, we've got Gerald Bolner with me again today. Gerald, how are we doing today? Doing great. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, Gerald, how we started on the show, obviously, as you know, is that we like to start off with a curveball question. So, moving back from, obviously, you grew up on a farm and moving to Wisconsin, doing all this stuff. What's your favorite type of cheese? <laughs> well, also being a, an avid Packer fan. Cheese head. Uh, so, as you see, I have a cheese head uh, on, in my uh, Packer room. To be honest with you, I don't have a favorite cheese. Really? No, I don't. In fact, when uh, we go out to eat and, and this, it, it involves cheese and the, the waiter or waitress asks me what kind of cheese I, I was want, uh, I want, I always say to me, what kind of cheese do I like? Oh, that's a crime. That's a <laughs> <know>. crime. Oh, <laughs> but I do gosh. like, I like, I like almost all cheeses. Okay, fair, fair enough. As long as you like cheese. Oh, I, like I was like, cheese. I'm kicking you out of the state. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, this episode, I love to do something special on there. And this one's going to be really about a relationship and kind of specifically marriage and losing someone and Obviously, a lot of us that are listening to this show are pretty young, and we obviously haven't been married, or maybe we have. I know a couple of us have a very strong girlfriend or something, and uh, Gerald is a very, very significant story about losing his son, and he would love to share that story with y'all as it helps heal him, and I was very nervous to share this story. My dad was like, just so you know, you know, when you talk to him, that's something that obviously has a huge impact. And his son was his business partner, all this stuff. And so losing that is something very significant. And he really wanted to share this story with everyone because it helps him heal too. So I'll kind of let you take it away, Gerald. Let's kind of, I'll start with this. And I want to tie this into a marriage because I know so many people have lost or been divorced. The divorce rate is so high, including myself. Unfortunately, my parents are great with that. But so many people have lost a parent or a sibling as well. And so I'd like to start off with on a happy note is how did you and your wife meet? Oh, uh, interesting story. Uh, uh, before I, I talk about that, uh, we will be married 57 years uh, wow. this August. So congratulations! Yeah, it's a uh, it, that just doesn't happen. No, it's not easy, especially in America. Exactly. So anyway, in college, uh, I had a very good friend. Uh, we both played football and uh, he was my roommate and we were just really close friends. And and Betty, uh, as a part of a group, uh, we were friends, but it was just group friends. It wasn't mm-hmm. boyfriend, girlfriend. So my roommate started to date Betty and uh, they had a pretty uh, meaningful relationship. And after about nine months of that relationship, they decided uh, to not be boyfriend and girlfriend. And I felt really bad about that because I liked both of them. So I really tried to, I, I thought I could get them back together mm-hmm. and I tried to encourage them to overlook things that they saw in each other that they didn't like. And that wasn't going too well. <laughs> that wasn't going in the direction I thought it would. So one day, one early evening, uh, I was talking to Betty and, and trying to console her. And, and she was depressed. And I said, uh, I don't know why I thought about this, but I just did. I said, would you like to go someplace to dance? And uh, she said, yeah, I would. So we went to this place that uh, had dance music and Back in the 60s, the kind of dance music, you know, I like to dance to that. 
<laughs> and uh, apparently I was a good dancer because good. Uh, that was the beginning of uh, a long uh, history of uh, successful marriage. So that's how we started our relationship. But interestingly enough, uh, we used to I used to double date with uh, my friend and, and uh, he his girlfriend was Betty and I had another girlfriend. So, uh, you know, we double dated uh, not being with each other, but being with somebody else. So anyway, that's how it all started. That's crazy. And so but how would you say in, in this term, we kind of call it in the youthful generation called the friend zone. Did you ever ask her out officially? And she was like, no, I just, I just want to be friends. And she was like, yeah, I'm all in. No, uh, no, I never, from that point on, it was pretty much a green light. And uh, we just decided yeah. to become uh, friends and, and, you know, back then, which is a lot different than today, I mean, it was just, uh, it wasn't a sexual relationship. It was just a positive, uh, uh, trusting relationship and, and learning to enjoying each other's company and enjoy talking to each other. So, uh, no, uh, from that point on, it was pretty much uh, go and then a year after that, a year and a half after that, is when I asked her to marry me, and that was definitely a wow. green light also. So Wow, that's so good. So really just being part of a friend, I'm just trying to speak a little insight into some people that maybe never dated or don't know how, and I've, I've gotten a couple of questions. I've had a couple of girlfriends, and do no means am I an expert, but... What, how did you, did you start off as friends and then at that night, did you ever ask her out or was it kind of like a mutual understanding? It was like, yeah, we're just kind of dating now. Well, as I mentioned to you in another podcast is that, uh, girls really were not that important to me, uh, mm -hmm. in high school. I mean, I, sports was my life and I didn't really have time to have a girlfriend. So, uh, even though whenever I needed a date for some special dance or prom or something like that, I never had a problem getting a date, but girls were just not that important to me. So I think I was pretty naive at the boyfriend, girlfriend relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, so no, I would definitely always formally ask her out for a date. I just never, uh, never assumed anything at that point. I just believed that to become boyfriend and girlfriend that, uh, you had to treat that person with respect and uh, honor their wishes. And so I always formally asked her if you would go to this dance with me or you want to go to this together or you want to do that. And uh, it just, uh, particularly in the beginning, was not assumed. It was just always uh, formally uh, asking if she would be interested in doing something with me, in which she always said yes at, after so that good. point. I'll say it's confusing right now. I, I, I always try to be that way. That's how I was taught. You know, I have integrity. And obviously in our generation, you see everything so sexualized. And, you know, I have so many stories of talking to girls about guys that are just, they we're messed up. I mean, I'm going to be real honest. I've heard some pretty bad stories about things are getting cheated on. And it definitely goes the other way. Although I'd say not as much, but it's very confusing, you know, sometimes, I mean, I've definitely gotten friend zone. That's cool. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? But I, I think uh, one time, somewhat recently, after I right after I moved back, um, this girl started a Bible Snapchat story. And I was like, that's so cool. And I didn't really know her that well. But I, like, I swiped up on Snapchat, and I just told her, I was like, I think this is super cool. And then we started talking, and 
I had no intention of dating her. I didn't want to, but she's like, do you want to hang out? And I thought the same thing. I was like, yeah, sure. Like there's never, I never thought it was a date. No one ever said it was a date. And then, you know, we went out to lunch or whatever and we went home and then she, what we call it is ghosting. So they just don't talk to you. And I was like, what the heck? And I'm apparently she thought that we were going on a date and she didn't want to talk to me anymore. So that kind of hurt me. I was like, I thought we were friends and now we're not. So it's very confusing times, but I'd love to get in your relationship with Betty in 57 years. Obviously there's been some pretty impactful things that have happened in your life. And um, obviously we'll talk about, I think we'd start talking about your son. Um, just kind of leading up to that. What was it like when you first had your son as a child growing up? Well, that's an interesting story too. Uh, we had three daughters uh, that were born. Our first daughter was born in 67. And I was 60, uh, yeah, 67, 69, and 71. Mm-hmm. Uh, all three girls, they were two years apart. And I really, I think probably not unusual as a father, really wanted to have a son. Yeah. And uh, I think probably if uh, our second child had been a son after we had a daughter, that would have probably been it. But after the uh, third daughter, even though obviously we loved her, even though she it wasn't what I had hoped to. Uh, she decided, Betty decided that was our family. That was going to be our family of five. And I didn't really want to accept that. I really still wanted to have a son. So I tell people I campaigned for four years to uh, convince her to that we should at least try one more time. So uh, she, she was pregnant. And back in the day, our day, uh, I was in the in the uh, delivery room with her, but at that time they they didn't tell you. You didn't know what the sex of your child was going to be. Oh my gosh! So while I was in the delivery room, uh, Jason, our son's name, was born upside down, and I couldn't tell it was a girl or a boy. <laughs> and uh, but then the doctor uttered those words, said, "Well, you have a son." And uh, I will never forget that moment because it was an extremely emotional moment for me. What was that moment like? Were you? I just wanted to hear. Were you jumping up and down, or you just kind of like sat like yes, like little fist pump? Just kind of like, babe, like I'm so happy. Or what was that reaction like? I got to know. Well, it was probably all of those things that. <laughs> I even though uh, I didn't, I wasn't able to leave the hospital that night until about uh, nine o'clock, and. Uh, the hospital was at least an hour away from where we live. So I went home. I called one of my best friends and I said, hey, I just need to get together with somebody and, and share with them, uh, with you, my my joy. And so I got together with my friend and, and we stayed up talking until about two o'clock in the morning. And, wow. and I just needed to share with somebody how happy and excited I was. So, yeah, I was I was pretty I was pretty excited. That's so good. And then what was it like just growing up with your son? Well, my son was everything I hoped he would be. I mean, he uh, he followed me everywhere I went. I mean, he 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 wanted to be like his dad, uh, and he told me that many times. And so I think we had the kind of relationship that every father would want to have with his son. And and he also uh, uh, sports were important to him, and particularly football. And there was no way I was ever going to miss one of his games. And Betty's mother, at one 
Friday, uh, received a special honor from uh, Warburg College, where we both had gone to college. And she wanted all of her family to be there, and she definitely wanted me to be there. And I said, I just can't. I can't be there. I can't miss one of my son's football games. Every Friday, uh, I would be just kind of out of it. I just was so uptight about the game that night. So, yeah, he uh, he was exactly the kind of son that I had hoped and prayed for. Oh, that's so good. And you're scaring me because that's the type of relationship me and my dad have. Uh, yeah. Now, so I'm knocking on wood right now. But um, just kind of a side note, if your son had a game, what was it like to car right Oh. Well, first of all, I never never got in the car and ride home. You know, went on the, the bus with oh, really? the rest of the team. And, and so um, I don't ever remember having um, a bad conversation. I mean, he was so easy to raise. Uh, I just really can't think of any negative experience that stands out to me that I had. And if he had a bad game, I was there for him. I I sympathize with him i empathize with him and i just told him you know you you did everything you you tried to do you you did your best and uh but then also when he had i remember one time at a football game i was standing i mean i had to stand the sidelines i would go up and down the field wherever the end of the field they were playing and the announcers at one time uh was telling who who was running the ball and who got the tackle and at one time, the the, the announcer said, uh, "Who was running the ball?" And he said, "I can't tell who was the who tackled." And I said, "Baldner." <laughs> I didn't mean to say that out loud, but I did. But no, we had the kind of relationship that um, that I had ever hoped for. You're very proud of your son. Yeah, absolutely. And what was that like? I guess we kind of fast forward to the point where. You know, trying to be lost his life. Uh, what what was the story there? So our listeners know. Well, on, uh, on May third, uh, two thousand one, Ben and I came home from having a dinner uh, at a restaurant, and our daughter and her husband followed us into our our driveway and told us that uh, Jason was in a very serious boating accident, oh. and he was in the hospital in Fort Myers, Florida, and he was in a coma, and so the next day we got on a plane and we were in Fort Myers and and first of all to see him in that state uh, was devastating. So they had to actually take off the uh, half of his skull on his left side to allow the brain to uh, to to grow or to that's the word I'm looking for to expand. The pressure. Yeah. And uh, that was difficult, very, very difficult. So he was in a coma in Fort Myers for 10 days. And then we decided, the doctor decided that we could med fly him home. Mm-hmm. And so it was just Betty and Jody, our second daughter, and myself in that plane with Jason on a, on a kind of like a cot. And they had to do several things just to keep him alive uh, on that on that trip, and it was the worst airplane ride I obviously that I ever had. And then, so he was here in, in the Gunnarsson Hospital, and he was in that coma for 81 days. And uh, one day, 
about five days before the 81st day, we had that very unpleasant meeting with all the doctors and all the nurses, and and they they told us what the prognosis was, which was terrible. I mean, they said even if he became conscious, he would probably only have 25% uh, of his brain, uh-huh. which meant he'd probably be uh, in a hospital or some kind of a nursing home the rest of his life. 100%. And interestingly enough, just about uh, a few months prior to that, Jason and I had a business trip that we went on, and, and we got on the subject of what would you want to do if something happened to you and you knew that the rest of your life uh, was going to be totally different than what you've experienced. And, and both of us said, well, we just want to have them pull the plug. Mm-hmm. And so for me to make that decision for the doctors to do that was not difficult in making the decision, but obviously extremely difficult in uh, make, having to make that decision. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went, I stayed in his room. So after that meeting for those next nights, and so every night I stayed in his room and, and the night before he died, I had a cop that was right next to his bed and I had my hand on, on his wrist uh, to make sure that he was still breathing and that his heart was still working. So I went home that morning about seven o'clock and before I got home, uh, the nurses had called and said that he was gone. So by the time I got home, they'd already called Betty and said, you know, you need to come to the hospital because your, your son has died, which was, uh, you know, they, there's no way that you're prepared for that in life, you know, mm-hmm. having to lose a child and having to lose a son. So you're not prepared for that. And you don't know what to expect and you don't know how to act. You don't know what to do. Uh, you, you just, it's just a devastating experience to have to encounter. So, uh, so we had a funeral for him. He had a funeral. Uh, uh, they had uh, one of those, uh, I don't know if it's a podcast or what they call it, but I think it's called a caring bridge where uh, you can put posts on there of what's happened today, what's his prognosis today. And he had thousands of followers. Wow. And there were 800 people at his funeral, wow. uh, which was uh, very encouraging. A lot of a lot of our friends that came, a lot of our franchises came from all over to come to his funeral. And so then you go into that grieving process, and you you just uh, don't know if you can get through it. Mm-hmm. And you don't know how to get through it, but somehow you have to get through it. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope it impacted your life just as much as mine did. Just want to let you know we do have an Instagram called Lessons in the Trenches, just how it said Lessons in the Trenches on Instagram. If you want to go check that out, we got pictures of all our guests on there, some awesome photos, and we're doing a lot more on there soon. So please go check that out if you haven't already. And thank you so much for watching.